Good morning. morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence here with us this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. Show us how to be the men that you have called us to be. We ask this through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Oh, I'm just going to give you a warning. My wife is due any minute for our fifth child. So if this thing rings, if this rings, I'm leaving. And um, Tom is going to finish up for us. I'm just kidding. Tom's probably not going to do that. <laughs> Somebody will finish up. Okay. So, last week we, we looked at a passage in 1 Corinthians. Um, it was an interesting passage and Paul was writing to this church in Corinth. And the interesting thing he said was, in his closing, closing words, one of the things he said was, Act like men. Act like men. And we, we talked about that. Some and what is it about being men that's important? What what is it about being a man of God that that Paul would put that in his letter? One of his closing things that he's saying to this church is to act like men. And so what we realize is that God, uh, through Paul, he's affirming something very important, very fundamental about being men, and that that's a good thing. And that we need to embrace that and to be excited about being men. That's okay. And we looked at that and we talked about some challenges. And there, there were quite a few. And one of the biggest ones was we probably live in a culture that doesn't necessarily value that. That doesn't value um, biblical manhood. Men who are... Strong men who are leaders, men who, who, who stand up. And, and it doesn't have to be this sort of you know, rah-rah masculinity. But it, it, it does mean embracing who we are and who God has created us to be. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. A big picture image of what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be created by God? And, and we can't hit all these in details. We're going, to, we're going to get to that. But this is a big picture because... If you like, you see up there. It's very small in the right corner. But basically, the title of these these series of talks are "Foundations of a Godly Man." Foundations of a Godly Man. But here's the deal: any of you who are builders or architects or engineers, you know, you can't build a foundation until you know what the building's going to look like. Until you have a picture of where you're going, then we can really get down and say, okay, so what do we need? At the bottom, what do we need at the base? And so today's that big picture. What are our foundations? And so the best place to turn to that is um, Genesis. And this is probably just as good a verse as any. Genesis 1, 27 to 28. Somebody want to read that for me? Somebody who's got good eyes. Thanks, Tom. Okay, 
what stands out to that about that to y'all? Just throw it out there. Anything stand out in particular about that verse? What's that? Yeah, that's amazing. He's got glasses though. <laughs> What was that, Foster? Created in God's own image. Cre- created in God's image, yes. That is, we're going to talk a lot about that. Um, take dominion, very good. So what do you think that means, Terry? Rule it. Rule it. Subdue it. Drive it into the ground. <laughs> Be the man, yeah, okay. Very good, thanks, Terry. Be fruitful. Be fruitful and multiply. I'm working on that one. <laughs> you need some help? You can give me a call. <laughs> no, no, no. I need help. Very good. And so what? Expand on that, Scott. Well, uh, Oh. <laughs> Well, uh, well, we'll get there. We'll get there. That's a that's a very a very good observation that you just don't realize yet. Um, male and female, he created. Very good. Thanks, Jay. What's that? God said. Okay, very good. So this is a a divine command. God said. He blessed them. Yes, very good. Now, think about this. If y'all who know Genesis. This that God blessed them. That's very important. How many days of creation were there? Seven. Now, okay, okay. There's this right. Okay, very good. So, so no more making fun of the speaker, please. So, so the everything else God created. What do you say when it was done? When he was done. It's good. Now, after he created man, what did he say? That was a lot of. What is that, Foster? Very good. No, he didn't say not yet. But so, so we have God creating the world, but it's not until after he creates man in his own image that creation is very good. So that's, that's, let's remember that. So, in these verses, the, the main theme that we want to pull out of here is, is that, that, that we're created in the image of God. This word image um, is used in other places in the Bible to talk about idols. And this isn't, these aren't good idols, these are bad idols. People are worshiping things other than in God. Um, but the idea of an idol... <clears throat> is to help you worship something. And so if we're made in the image of God, when we look at each other, we're supposed to fall down and worship the living God. We are made in the image of God. We are made to facilitate worship of God. So keep that, keep that in mind. It doesn't mean um, that we become the God, that we're gods ourselves or that even we, we don't look like God. That's, God doesn't look like anything. But, but we're made to facilitate worship of God. So God made His creation so that when we look at each other, we think of how great and how good and how amazing He is. 
And so that's the bottom line. If you are asking, why, why, are, why am I here? Why did God create me? Well, God created you so that other people would know Him. would know how great He is and how amazing He is and would worship Him. We're made in the image of God. When we see that, we see, okay, so we're created in the image of God. What, now, what does that mean practically? What, is that, what does that start to look like? Well, the next line is important. So, God created him, male and female, he created them. So, interestingly enough, this being made in the image of God means that we are made um, in relationships. I can't be the image of God by myself. Richard can't. Foster can't. Lee can't. We can't be the image of God by ourselves. We're the image of God in relationship. In this particular case, and in a a very profound way, we're made in the image of God in relationship with with our wives, with women. But even more than that is this idea of um, community. Let's look at... Uh, right, this, I just put it up. <laughs> you're, you're a step ahead of me, Peter. That's good. This idea of community, what Peter uh, wanted us to look at, is right there at the top, Genesis one twenty six. Why is the image of God community? Well, we have here this probably strange verse. If you're a, a, a Jewish person reading your Old Testament, and you believed in one God... Um, which is right, and we still believe that. We, we obviously still believe it, but you wouldn't really have any idea of Trinity, that we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so if you were a Jewish person, if you didn't know Jesus, and you were reading Genesis, and you read this verse, and it's very curious, um, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so, what you have here in the Old Testament, the the very first verses of our Bible are speaking to a a three-person God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. I don't know how it works, but that's what we believe. And so God here is saying, let us make man in our image and so, the one image is reflective of a relationship. In this case, a three-person, uh, three, three parts of the Godhead relationship where God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are somehow in this perfect community, this perfect love. And so when God says, let's make man in our image, it's for all of us together being the image of God. And so... The image of God is reflected then um, in the church, if you will, in the body of Christ, in, in Christians across the world. That's the one image of God. This room, this group of men, when we come together for fellowship and to pray and to worship through song and to read the Scriptures, that, that's, that's the image of God in this room. And so we have God... In relationship. Um, And so he makes two people. He makes them male and female. And so 
we see we see relationship obviously with men and women, but also just with each other and our relationship with God. These are the three relationships that kind of constitute the image of God. So we have in um, one twenty-seven. We just read that God created man in His own image. The image of God He created him. Male and female He created them. If you go on a little bit further, in Genesis is is kind of strange. There's two creation accounts. Um, in the chapter one through the first couple of verses of chapter two, it's on the first day God made this. On the second day God made this. On the seventh day God rested. And then you go to chapter 2 and it talks about God creating again. And if you're wondering what that's all about, here's how, here's how you should read that. Um, chapter 1 is maybe this big sort of flyover of, of God's creativity. And He's showing us how He makes the, how he makes the land and the, the animals. And then chapter 2 zooms in really close. And you get a picture of God creating the Garden of Eden. And God creating man and woman. And so right there at the, in the middle of chapter 2, God's created the Garden of Eden and He's created man. The man's um, he's there, but he's a little out of sorts. And God looks at him and says, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And so, again, this idea of community... A relationship, and and first and foremost reflected in in marriage, but there's certainly plenty of people who aren't called to marriage, and so this idea that the image of God is reflected in our relationships, our community. And so let's just take a minute, and we're going to look at these relationships. And there's going to be a third one that we talk about that that maybe will surprise you, maybe not. But the first one is our relationship with God. A little bit of context. Uh, Genesis 1 and 2 speak of um, creation and it's as God intended it to be. So what God did, who we are, that, that's creation as God intended it to be. Genesis 3 talks about the fall. That's where you get Satan coming in the form of a serpent. It's where you get Adam and Eve disobeying God and eating from the apple. And it's where you get them banished from the Garden of Eden. Because of sin, they can't be in the presence of God anymore. And then the rest of the Bible, after Genesis 3, is about God fixing that problem. It took three chapters for us to mess it up, and God knows how many for Jesus to come and restore that. Um, and so Genesis chapter 3, this is talking, this is after um, Adam and Eve have sinned, after they've eaten the apple. But this speaks to me to our relationship with God. Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. So imagine our relationship with God where we could walk with Him in the cool of the garden. This was something God expected. God wanted to walk with Adam in the cool of the garden. Imagine God looking for Adam and certainly knowing where He is, but at the same time crying out, Where are you? 
this sort of anguished cry that 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 relationship was so tight that 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 would break his heart. Break his heart that his creation was hiding from him. And so as we consider what it means um, to be godly men, the first relationship we have to think about is our relationship with God. God our Creator. God our Father. God our our Redeemer through Jesus Christ. How how is that going? Because if that relationship's broken, if we're not opening up, if we're not letting God speak to us in our relationship with Him, first and foremost, everything else, our wives, our children, our work, all of that is just going to fall apart. It might not happen now. It might not happen tomorrow. But one day, it's going to fall apart. So relationship one is our relationship with, with God. Um, relationship number two, and we, we've certainly already talked about this, is, is our relationships with each other. Obviously those are not perfect these days, um, whether it's with your wife or with with your friends, it's, 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 it's broken. Um, but God intends us to be in perfect, loving relationship with each other. And like we said earlier, that's how His image is reflected. We're first in relationship with Him, and because of that we're in relationship with each other, and when, when we see that, we, we see God. And so that's what we need to think through. How is our relationship with our wife? How is our relationship with our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors? How is your relationship with your neighbors? How, how are relationships in these room, this room right here? How do we work on those? How do we facilitate those? How do we live in a relationship that causes us to worship God? We have to think about that. If we're going to be godly men, um, I don't know who said it, no man is an island unto himself. It's much easier to kind of be, you know, alone. Especially, it's easier for some of us than others, but, but it's easy to, even if you're in the middle of a room, and you're the biggest extrovert in the world, it's still easier to be alone, because we're going to put up these walls, these, you know, men are so good at that. Putting up these walls where we really don't know one another. We can talk about football, or golf, or fishing, and, and that's fun. But we don't want to talk about who we are, what's challenging us, what's convicting us, what, what's God doing in our lives that's really good and exciting. We, we should talk about these things. That's going to be very important as we seek to be godly men. Is you, Obviously, you're not going to open up to everybody, but finding one, two, three guys that you can really talk to. You can really lay it out and say, this, this is killing me. And then the, the final relationship would be that of um, our relationship to creation, to this created world, and included in that would be our relationship to work, what we do. We were, were created to do stuff. Look at um, 128 again. God blessed them, and then God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. 
Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God didn't create us just to sit around and get fat. He didn't create us just to you know hang out in Eden and enjoy the fruit except for that one fruit. He created us to work. And this is a good thing. Have dominion to... to take care of this creation to you know the first um, thing that happens after Genesis 3 is actually Cain builds a city he builds a city and that's that's good God wants us to work and use our hands and use our minds and and to participate in what he's created verse uh, chapter 2 verse 15 the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it so we're thinking about relationships. How's your relationship to what God has called you to do? Sure, you're going to have bad days some days. You're not going to go to work some days. But overall, is your job, is what you're doing, is that causing others to look at you and worship God? Does your relationship to work reflect the image of God? That's the um, third relationship that we need to consider, this idea of our work and of our vocation. So with that, we're going to take a moment. Oh, y'all definitely can't read those. Um, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to talk like we, we, we did last week. We're going to do it again this week. And so here's three questions, okay? So find the three people closest to you. It can be four. I mean, I'm not legalistic about this. Find three or four people and just answer these questions. Is any of this eye-opening or surprising to you? And which of these relationships that we talked about, our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, our relationship with creation, in which of these relationships do you see God particularly glorified? What's going well for you? What do you think? Okay, you know, God's got me where He needs me to be. And then the third one would be... um, Or in any of these relationships, do you feel like God's not being glorified? You don't have to answer all of them. You don't have to go in order. Do whatever you want. But those are three questions. Why don't you all get together and and discuss and see what you all can figure out.
Okay. Well, really quick, what um, you don't have to share, but if you want to share, did any anything stick out with you from your conversations, Randy? Uh, yeah, good morning, everybody. Uh, when God was walking through the garden, He said, "Where are you?" He said, "Who told you you were naked?" The devil tells me a lot of times. How I respond to that is Yeah. So I'm going to recap so everybody can hear it. Randy said, um, the very next verse is, is God says, Where are you? And man says, I'm naked. God says, Who told you that? Um, Randy was just saying, Satan um, is known as the great accuser. He will accuse you and accuse you. And Randy was just saying, Satan's telling me all the time that I'm naked, that I'm not good enough, that I'm not made in God's image. Um, and that's just important to remember. You know, you got if, if that's coming at you, it's not from God. It's from Satan. Time for comments? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, question. I've often wondered this. God creates in His own image. But at the same time, why is the nakedness? From day one, with the very first couple on earth, God is making nakedness the wrong way to go, bad thing, not acceptable thing. I mean, it's a taboo. Right. Why? I mean, it's the body that He created. Well, that is, um, if you'll notice, the question is why is nakedness a bad thing? Um, if you'll notice, nakedness isn't a bad thing until after Adam and Eve sin. And it's after they sin, they think, that's when it becomes a bad thing. They're ashamed that they're naked. Um, Basically, they're ashamed of the gift that God has given them. And so that's when they cover up. So, it's not really a bad thing. Um, And I'm not saying that Christians should come to church naked. Um, Maybe one day. (laughs) Yeah. Just a bad thing. <laughs> so that so the answer to that is, is the answer to that is because of sin. And if you think about all the gifts that God has given us and how we distort many of them, um, I'm not going to name them now. But as you know, think about it. This week, just go through your life and think about all the gifts God has given you, and try to think through. Okay, how is that distorted by sin? Because there's probably a bunch of things. Um, that, that that sin has, or everything really, sin is distorted, and we don't realize why God gave it to us, what the purpose is, um, and nakedness is, is the one that happens to be mentioned in the Bible. Any other thoughts or comments? Saying, you know, you're naked, put your clothes on. And I, 
you know, I, it's funny because it's hit me. I'm sitting in church and I'm on the worship team and I'm doing all these godly things, and yet here I am wanting to have my clothes off and be vulnerable. And and, and Shane's like, no, 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 no. Put your clothes back on. Stay here. She don't do what God is telling you to do. And that, I don't know. That's an interesting connection for me because I I, I very rarely look at Satan necessarily in my life. I, I don't acknowledge it. You know that they tripped in place. That's not a, he's not there. But I. Very obviously is, and I just, I just need to pay attention yeah. to where it is. And, and part of that being a negativeness, not being negative, the vulnerability of uh, of being, uh, that, that's what Satan's saying. You're vulnerable. You're not. That's why you that negativeness is bad. Yeah, that's what Dean was saying. Um, a good insight. Thank you. That part of being naked is 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 the vulnerability attached to that, um, and. And the, one of the accusations from Satan would be, you know, that that's bad. You don't want to be vulnerable. You don't want to be open. Um, and so that's just that's all part of it. It just kind of underlies all of it. Could nakedness be a metaphor for exposing everything, not just your body, but your feelings? Absolutely. What you're thinking, what you're hiding. Yeah, absolutely. So nakedness as um, you know, exposing who you really are. And just being honest about it. And it's interesting that you bring that up because um, you get to John's Gospel and, and in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and the Word came to shed light in the darkness to expose um, who we really are so we could repent and turn from that and, and accept Jesus. Uh, Dean? Before, before uh, the devil came and told them that they were naked, they, there were no real vulnerabilities because they didn't know there was anything to be vulnerable. Right. Because their relationship was with God. Exactly. Yep. Foster? Uh, uh, in our group, we were talking about being mature and that it's over you get possibly, you're not just repeating, you know, the first grade that you're maturing. Uh, yet, you know, yesterday morning, Trish and I had a nice little fight about one of the children and what we're going to tell, what we're not going to say, and all this. And, I mean, you know, hats on, hands on the door, I'm walking out, and, up, and you know, and the Lord is like, oh, go ahead, go ahead, you know, just walk on out, and you, you know, and you'll just have the kind of day you're having now. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, so I stop, take the hand off the door, and I say, okay, okay, I give up, honey, let's talk, and and my relationship with Patricia is a barometer of my relationship with God. And so, I, so I, that was all, yeah, I'm sure I can go to the office and really have a great day. <laughs> so, I got, you know, so I'm 40 minutes late to work, but God can bend time. And so whatever I missed, it didn't matter, and it worked out, and life went on, and you know, and now Trish and I are nice to each other. Take off the last night. And said, you know, it being five times worse than I come home. And so, you know, anyway, wake up, folks. That that's your barometer. Wife, kids, workers, whoever they are. Stop and make that right before it's terrible. I love that image. This idea of a barometer that that our relationships with each other, and especially with our wives, I think, um, is a, is a gauge of, of a relationship with God. Yeah, I would, we were able. To, I was able to identify some relationships which the barometer reading was for. <laughs> that the uh, relationship with God was not being glorified. 
I'm just uh, at a loss of how I can unilaterally disarm and the other person is not willing to. I mean, in Foster's case, he's got Patricia where you've got a willing participant in that equation, whereas sometimes in family life, the other person is just Right, Fleming, this is this is a big picture. It says, even God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. And so I gotta take the hat off, take the hand off the thing. I've got to show the humility first. Somebody's supposed to be the leader here. Somebody's supposed to mature and get you know, be the giver. And once that starts, the law takes over, such as the law of giving, each receiving, what what you sow. So sow into it, and it will come back. Grace will come back. God will do something. And if, if we're so stuck, then Patricia and I are mature enough to get on our knees and say, we're stuck, Lord. I hate him, but he, she hates me, and we just can't get through this. We you please change our hearts? And we just put it in the blood of Christ and just say, okay, that's the best we can do, and let God do it. And he does. And, um, so we're, we're going to talk about that in terms of leadership. And yeah, Peter. Is our relationship with God distorted by what man's created? Our car doesn't work. Our, our we've got to mow the lawn. Hmm. All these things are man-made, and they distort because it doesn't work. Or we're told to do it, we get upset with our wives. Creates right. distortion. Well, that's a really good question. Um, I want to say one thing to Fleming, and then I'm going to talk about that. Um, stepping out in leadership as men um, is important, and it's hard, and it requires a lot of humility, like Foster was saying. Um, and the reality is, sometimes that's not going to be received. And that's a hard thing to um, deal with. And we just have to at some point, we have to let that go and say, well, I'm going to do it, and it might not be received, and God, you've got to show up somehow. Um, so that's, that's a real, I mean, that's a concern, and that's, that's something we have to work through as men, and we have to work through it together. And so finding folks to talk about stuff like this um, is really, really important. So thank you for bringing that up. And then Peter's question was, um, is, is some of our frustration due to what we've made? Is that basically how, how you phrase it? That the, um, well, let's talk about that now. That'll actually close up what we're close up this morning. That's where we were headed. Um, so we obviously live in a world that's after Genesis three, after sin. And if you recall what happens, um, the serpent finds Eve and says, "Hey, did God really say don't eat?" from the tree. Um, and the interesting thing is when you read Genesis, Eve wasn't around when God gave that command. The serpent said, did God really say don't eat the fruit of the tree? But in chapter 2, God tells Adam that before Eve is created. And so, we have Satan accusing Eve, finding a spot of weakness in Eve and attacking it. And um, her husband's not there, or if he is there, he's silent. Um, and she eats the apple, gives it to Adam, he eats it. They're naked, God finds them. And I love this exchange um, <laughs> in chapter 3. God says, 
Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And Adam's response is perfect. I mean, this is amazing. Adam says, the woman... But see, it gets better. It gets better. He doesn't only blame the woman. He says, the woman that you gave me. It's her fault and it's your fault. And they made me eat it. The woman... The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. There's, um, there's a really bad joke in Alpha that I, that's really quite fun to tell. Um, this isn't one of Foster's. Foster's are, we're always good. Um, but it went something like this. Um, oh, which one was How'd it go? Okay, okay yeah, yeah. Adam blamed, Adam blamed Eve... Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent, and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. That's bad. That's a Nicky Gumbel joke. That's that, I like it. Um, okay. So so getting getting to Peter's question, there there are consequences um, for our sin, and that's why we're here this morning trying to work this out because. If we hadn't sinned, we wouldn't have these problems. We, we, we just do it. Our whole lives would glorify God. But, but because we've sinned, there, there were consequences. And um, the main one being that, that we're sinful. That we can't, you know, we can't go back. We need help. Um, but one of the consequences from, of sin is that we can't be in the presence of a holy God. And so we get, we get banished from God's presence until the time when He could restore things. Um, and so here's some consequences. This is to, to women. To the woman, He said, I will multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. So, this picture of um, bringing children into the world as a painful experience and I'm sure not just physically but emotionally any of you have had kids it's the most emotionally high and the most emotionally low you could ever be and, and think of that for a mother and how much harder that, that is um, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you think I mean women long for their husbands and most of the time and often the husband longs for anything else sometimes. And, and this isn't like being judgmental. It's just the reality, and we've all been there, that, that, that we're, our focus turns outward and away from um, our wives who are longing for us. And it's just, again, broken, broken relationships. And so for the man... I'll read it to you. Adam, to Adam he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten, that doesn't mean don't listen to your wives. It just means don't sin. Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth from you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread 
till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so this gets to Peter's question. Work in Genesis 2 is a good and rewarding and fulfilling thing. Work in Genesis 3 is hard and difficult and not fun most of the time. And so it's just, it's this distortion. So would we be cutting our grass? Um, Maybe, maybe not. I can't answer that question. But if we were, we would be enjoying it. Would, would, would the things we create break down and not work and cause pain and suffering in our lives? I'd say probably not. That we're still called to create and work, but because of sin, it's, it's broken and distorted. And, and, and the way we interact with each other on the job site and the way we actually do our jobs, all of this is affected and tarnished and distorted by sinfulness. And so when we think to this image of revelation of the new heavens and the new earth, we have, um, God tells us about a city, the city of the new Jerusalem, and we'll all live there. And nobody knows what that's going to look like, but I think we're still going to work, we're just going to love it. And nothing's going to break down. The boat's not going to stop working on a beautiful Saturday morning. Um, But it's sin has distorted all of these things, and, and... I think does that get get to your question? So finally, we'll leave with a little bit of hope. The serpent also um, received judgment, and God said this: "The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your lives." And then look at this. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. He he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So Satan is going to bruise our heel. He's going to be attacking us. But look at that. The offspring of the woman will bruise his head. Who might that be? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. This is a promise. This is a hope. That God's saying this is not the last word. All this brokenness, this exile from the garden, this, that's not the end of the story. Somebody's coming who's going to destroy Satan, who's going to destroy sin. And that person is Jesus Christ. He did it on the cross. He enables us to, to meet like this and to enjoy fellowship and to worship God and to facilitate worship of God and one day he's going to come back and and this brokenness will be wiped off the face of the earth in the meantime we've got to we've got to pray through this and seek God and and learn what does it mean to be godly men how can we step up how can we show the world who Jesus is and what he's done so that's why you're here this morning. That's why we're going to come back next month and a month after that. We're going to learn how to be godly men. What, what are the foundations of that? What are the barriers to that? Um, and how is Jesus Christ redeeming those? So let's close in prayer. And then I think Jimmy's got one song for us. Lord, thank You 
for your grace, for your redemption. Um, we're sinful people, Lord, but we thank you that you um, love us the same. You have given your Son Jesus Christ so that we could be back first and foremost in relationship with you, but also in relationship with each other, in relationship with um, this creation that you have given us. Help us, Lord, this month to glorify you in all areas of our lives. Bring us back here safely. We ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen.